hold? No. Yes. Why? Just to bother you. Why are we holding it? Because some guy named Fettuccine Alfredo just... Jeremy, what's his name? Alberto Fedrigotti. Alberto Fedrigotti just took Sampras to a fourth set. Why would he do this to me? He's not doing it to you personally, Casey. He's doing it to me personally. In three, two, one. Good evening, everybody from New York City. I'm Dan Rydell alongside Casey McCall. Those stories plus... Alongside Adam Amin, I'm Steve Cimino, and this is Those Stories Plus, the Sports Night Podcast. We have moved on to episode 17 of season one, How Are Things in Glockamora? I would like to very proudly point out that on my DVD set, we are now into season one, disc three. So we are just this rolling right through This is the first right episode them. of disc three. It is indeed. So, And I'm assuming it's the final disc. It is. So these are the final, what, seven episodes I think, of the opening I season? I think it's seven. There is a bonus disc so. with okay. some, some superfluous information <laughs> and Aaron Sorkin interviews and whatnot, but yeah, moving right along. It's kind of, it's like watching the progress right before my eyes. I'm happy about it. I think we have to dive into this storyline right away just because, you know, I know we notice it as the episode goes on, but there is an absence of a key character in this episode. I mean, I knew about it ahead of time. Didn't dawn on me until after looking back through notes and being like, wait a second, we're missing Isaac all the way through this episode. There is no Robert Guillaume at all in this episode, and you wonder, well, I mean, that's not uncommon for shows to say, all right, well, it's, you know, we don't really need you for this particular episode, but why wouldn't you write a character into an episode? Well, this is straight from the IMDb page, uh, so we'll just read this for you so you understand where we're coming from. The character of Isaac did not appear in this episode as actor Robert Guillaume had suffered a stroke. This was written into the series to explain Isaac's continued absence. Guillaume did make a return to the show in the last episode of season one, What Kind of Day Has It Been? The title of this episode, How Are Things in Glockamora, was retained, even though the plot points to which it refers was dropped. And of course, in season two, there is an episode called Celebrities, where Isaac is talking through the lyrics of the song, he has Our a vast knowledge in, of Broadway music, he, he's in, but he yeah, can't remember exact, that yeah, song. That's right. his exact line. I have a vast knowledge, but he can't recall the lyrics to How Are Things in Glockamora. So we figured we'd throw that out there immediately. And I I want to say you feel the absence, but I, I don't really feel the absence in this particular episode. I think it's because we're so overloaded with exposition. It's true. It's another one of those Dear Louise episodes. To revisit, which, yeah. Which is nice. I mean, you get to hear Jeremy's point of view. I actually like, and I have a note in there somewhere, that as things are happening and Jeremy is narrating it, he's actually watching it and typing simultaneously, which I was like, great, that's actually like, you can see his, his brain ticking. That's a cool element. But you're right. There's so much exposition. It doesn't have those moments of... It doesn't have the urgency that the last couple of episodes might have had. Although I think last episode was a little bit on the slower side, too, building up to that that reveal about the Sally Gordon situation. But definitely felt the absence of Isaac looking back upon, upon the episode. I, I, again, I didn't feel it as much because I was just so focused on Jeremy and his exposition. And there wasn't... This isn't... This is a really easy episode to follow because of all of that exposition. I actually think it's kind of ironic. After our break from episode to episode since it's the busy season for both of us before summer break hits for you and before things slow down for me. We've been doing kind of basically one episode per month of this podcast, which is actually a nice little pace to go at so we can really dive in to a lot of these episodes. But this was like the perfect episode after a hiatus because there is a very intense previously on Sports Night. (laughs) 
And there is a tremendous amount of exposition in this episode. So you're basically all caught up to everything you possibly need to know about, except for the fact that Isaac is absent. Yeah, they do not let you fall behind at all. And I guess while I'm looking at the dates here, it was two weeks between this episode and the last episode in terms of real-time air when it came out. So maybe that was partly by design. To sure, be like, that we'll makes get sense, you back actually, in. yeah. But it's, it's, you're right, it's like the perfect way to, to come back after taking a step back for a couple of weeks there. So shall we get into it? Yeah. Let's do it. Episode 17, How Are Things in Glockamora? Original air date was March 9th, 1999. Written by Aaron Sorkin and directed by Mark Buckland. Really good resume, by the way, for Mark Buckland. The photo of him on IMDb has him holding an Emmy Award. (laughs) So I'm assuming he didn't just... Like, steal that from some random actor. Like, he found Clooney and, like, back and, like, stole it from him and then said, hey, look, I have this Emmy. I'm assuming that's his Emmy. From what my tiny little research told me, he won that Emmy for My Name is Earl. I think as a producer or a director, actually. I'm not sure which. He's got a lot of production and a lot of directing yep. credits. And, and some really good ones for that matter, too. Currently, he's working on that show Powerless. Have you watched that? I haven't watched that. I have seen an episode. I think it said he was a co-producer of it for Santa Clarita Diet. I enjoyed that. So, Drew Barrymore, yeah. I think she's a zombie, basically. So, it's like... It's like a weird, modern, kind of waspy version of zombies. It's almost like a yeah, waspy, zombie, female, American psycho. I enjoyed that one. Powerless, <laughs> I've seen a couple. Not feeling it? I don't, I don't dig it. I honestly didn't know that it was Vanessa Hutchins. Like, I know her name, but I'm not... I was like, I know she was in those she was Disney in like, movies. Was she in, like, Spring Breakers, too? I, I think so. I like Wasn't that the movie where like Selena Gomez and Vanessa Hudgens were in it? Yes. They're both like, and I'm like which Disney. one's which? Right? <laughs> like, what's going on here? They're just thro- throwing all their uh, Mickey Mouse Club stuff to the wind. But I think she's good, but weird. They do a lot of like the characters are staring right down the barrel, talking to each other, but they're right at you, and it's really kind of freaking me out. Huh. I like Danny Pudi. He's from Community. Oh, of course, I love Abed. Him. He's awesome. Marquette's own. Even in this show, I'm like, I don't even like Danny Pudi in this, in this show very much. <laughs> I, it's, I, I was having a discussion with somebody the other day about how our initial perception of things affects our appreciation for them. And I feel like if you were to watch, if you watched Community and you love Abed as a character, anything else you see Danny Pudi in for the rest of your life, you're just going to be like, that's eh, not Abed. Right, yeah. When and, you start, and it might affect strong. your appreciation for him. Poor Danny Pudi. <laughs> I really, I really like him. I hope his, I hope he doesn't get bogged down by have been having been Abed to start his career. That'd be a bummer for him. Yeah. I think he's great. I think he's funny. Yeah, he's a very funny guy. All right. So anyway, how are things in Glockamora? Our summary of this episode: a televised tennis match heads into overtime, delaying the start of Sports Night and forcing Dana to choose between canceling a date with Gordon and handing the show over to Sally. Jeremy uses the delay to write to Louise, and it seems that Dan's charms are beginning to work on Rebecca. So as you said, this episode begins with a previously on Sports Night. Let's take a second to just kind of recap our major Mm storylines. The big one, obviously, is that looming, I was going to say marital problem, but relationship problem between Gordon and Dana. They're struggling a little bit. She had that feeling that he was going to dump her, (laughs) I guess. We've got also the bombshell that was dropped last episode in which we find out that not only was Casey sleeping with Sally, who is Dana's mortal enemy, but Gordon also slept with Sally. And this starts basically an arc where we're going to have a whole lot of Sally for the next few episodes going towards the end of this first season. So we open right before showtime. Master Control, you get to hear them telling us what router we're going to be on. It's been a while since we heard them, I think. I feel like that was very early in the show. That was every episode. But a lot of establishing right. of, hey, remember, we're on TV. <laughs> I really enjoy when we get to see, and I say this every time, but when we get to see the control room people doing their thing and they're running around it's a it's a beehive of activity which is great at the beginning here everyone's kind of running around 
passing off papers and tapes and shouting about how this guy won't die. We keep hearing he won't die because it turns out we are in the midst of a Pete Sampras, Alberto Fedrigati, who is ranked 178th. At this point, Sampras was number one. Yep. Uh, and he's lasting with him for way too long and it's throwing everybody off. Alberto Fedrigati. Interesting name choice. I, I thought it was a really cool sounding name, and a obviously solid they make fun of it. Name. It's Very a strong name. <laughs> What's the they, most they, Italian? Can they even call somebody. Him, somebody it's... calls him Fettuccine Alfredo <laughs> yeah. later on. It's like somewhat racist. Did somebody <laughs> in the writers' room like suggest an Italian name, and like they were like, "Can you Italian it up a little bit more? <laughs> like, can, you, can you add a little bit of a?" They were. <laughs> they said like, "How about uh, how about Roberto?" It's like, "No, no, no I need a little bit." Of Alberto. All Alberto right, okay. Federico. It's uh. <laughs> It's one of those names, too, where I don't think anyone at any point refers to him as Alberto or just Fedrigati. It's almost always Alberto Fedrigati. you got to yeah. do the whole first name, last name thing. Which is... and, a, and a lot of this guy. This guy just won't die. He just won't die. But that's an interesting name choice also because it's used again in the Sorkin universe in a West Wing episode uh, called The Indians in the Lobby in Season 3. They also have, I want to say it's like the ambassador for Italy to the United States or... Somebody in, in, in that kind of high position, his name is also Alberto Federgatti. In my mind, this is the same universe, and Alberto made a big transition from <laughs> professional tennis player. <laughs> to, he was that good that they gave him like a UN position or something, you know? They, it was actually after this match, they thought he was so heroic for taking the number one player in the world to the brink in the fifth set. They go, Alberto, we are so very, very proud of you. Let us give you a brand new position. We have just created this. I don't know if I was drifting from the Italian accent. I feel like I started okay. It sounded solid to me. It it started to drift a little bit. But right after this match (laughs) is when they were like, Alberto, you've done us proud. Ambassador to the United States. (laughs) Go say hi to President Bartlett for us. Oh, man. We get right into the uh, the frame of the episode being a Dear Louise letter mm-hmm. right away. Jeremy is hitting us with the exposition. He's telling us everyone is a little antsy because this is taking way too long, and they're going to have to hold, and nobody likes to hold. It's not their favorite thing to do, particularly Dana. You know, she's a bit of a, at least in professional life, a bit of a control freak. She's in charge, and I think she does not like having that control taken out of her hands. And it, and it really is tough. The, the, the hardest thing about sports television is often the hurry up and wait because you're constantly rushing, rushing, rushing. Let's make sure this is good and this is good. And you talked about it. You hear the people in the control room always saying, like, all right, we're ready, one. Let's have three ready. Let's talk to them in San Francisco. Everybody's ready to go. And you're constantly keeping all these spinning plates spinning on different poles. And finally you get to a point where it's like, oh, I guess we're not doing anything for another 20 minutes or something like that. There's a lot of hurry up and wait. And shows like this, Sports Center in my universe, they're at our mercy. If I'm doing a college football game or like uh, I'll do an NBA game and it's the last game of the day, Sports Center is typically after us. Sports Center has to wait for our game to end. So no producer likes to be like, oh, this game's supposed to be done in two and a half hours. It's now. <laughs> Hitting at two hours and 45 minutes. We have like another review in the final two minutes of a basketball game. So this is taking another four minutes off the block. You ever get uh, like antsy, angry producers coming into your earpiece? Like, what are you guys doing? See, I mean, not for us because they don't communicate. Like the studio right. producers aren't communicating with us on site. But all like all of us, if we're kind of like, we'd like to get out of here. <laughs> my producer would be like, what are we doing? Like, why are we, what are we reviewing now? Why do we got to do this? And we'll just kind of like back and forth with each other over talk back which is uh, the mechanism we have that we can talk to each other from the truck to the booth without you hearing it while you're watching TV. Uh, We were able to just talk to each other. We just complain to each other constantly. This leads me to one of my Ask Adam notes in here. 
I know you, as you as you just mentioned, you're not at the desk or anything, so probably a little less likely, but two questions. One, have you ever had to wait, 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 wait for way longer than you expected for something to happen? And follow up, how long was the longest that you've ever had to do that? Oh, yeah. This should, happened well, I wish you guys, I'm going to pull a Jeremy here, I wish you could have seen the look on Adam's <laughs> face right there. Because I as was, I, I, as I like asked the question, he was like, oh, my God. Like, yeah, you could just, this I'm, just like my face contorted <laughs> into an angry fashion. How long I, is the longest you've had to be put on hold? Basically? It was about an hour and ten minutes after we were told we were going to go on the air. So, say we were in a post-game scenario, so we're following up a basketball game with post-game coverage. we got to wait until the basketball game's right. over. Or if we're doing something else, we got to wait until the tennis match or football game or whatever. we got to wait for that thing to end before we can do anything on TV. And you know, I, I know we'll talk about it later, but you eventually get to a drop time where it's like, all right, all right we're calling it a night. The next show's coming in, right. and we got to reset at the top of the hour. So yeah. it happens. Well, in our world here, as they're all waiting, we, of course, get into our very – personal conversations right there at the desk dan and casey sitting waiting 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 and of course dan just poking the bear and really begging casey to say what's the matter tell me what's going on you need to tell me what's happening i know it involves the shirt you know right. he's, he's going right back to last episode's reveal about the whole sally love triangle so to speak uh and i really love casey trying to tell him no i'm not going to tell you right now you're wired and dan confusing what he means I don't think you should be this way. I'm being this way. Yeah, but I don't think you should be this way. I am this seriously. Way. All right, Danny. Seriously? No, no, seriously. We're doing a show. This has something to do with the shirt, doesn't it, Danny? Does it have something to do with the shirt? You're wired. No, you're wired. Perfectly calm. You're wired. What do we talk about? We get Dana's point of view here. Again, tying right back into her relationship with Gordon, and Jeremy tells us she is clearly worried because as they have to hold her plans to go hang out with Gordon and his friends, getting pushed later and later, Gordon has apparently been saying that she's spending a little too much time with work, not putting him as a priority in, in his life. Which is certainly a fair point, and, and I can speak on this firsthand. I'm sure you've been in spots where... Work is overwhelming. I mean, it's not just the sports thing. It's not just a TV thing. Work gets overwhelming for everybody. And if you're not in a position to uh, meet your partner's wishes, certainly they would. They have a right, perhaps, or, or certainly the privilege to be upset. That's yeah, one of those. That's one of those big, unfortunate, miserable things about adult life is you've got all these re- actual big responsibilities, personal and professional. You got to balance. I do think it's kind of odd that we're talking about these characters now because. When the show first came out, what were we like? This is ninety nine. We were like thirteen, gonna be 13, fourteen years yeah. old, basically. Mm-hmm. And now we're like these characters' ages, right. all, like if not at those ages, we're close to them. Well, we're and, older than Jeremy. <laughs> we're all definitely older. And it's than weird Jeremy. to see that because I look at Josh Molina and I'm like, <laughs> go, not older than I'm not no, older than him. Exactly. I'm not. We're not around Felicity Huffman's age, but we are around Dana Whitaker's right. age. They so. are frozen in time. <laughs> we get uh, Natalie just. Pure adorable in this. I want to. I don't even want to find out actually how many times I typed the word adorable for various reasons for this <laughs> this particular episode. But she's got her her kind of fantasy relationship with Pete Sampras that she reveals to everybody. Sometimes he sends her flowers and whatnot. And I'm just picturing Natalie Hurley at her desk, like calling up 100 flowers and saying bouquet of roses to Natalie from Pete. <laughs> you know, like just wrote out the card on her. Right. Own. What would you like the card to say, Natalie? <laughs> to Natalie. <laughs> I think that's just amazing. And in Natalie world, just picturing that she's got this. That fits her personality well for me. I like that little interplay, though, between Jeremy and Natalie. Mm -hmm. Obviously, we talked about it, I think, in the last episode where 
you're not bludgeoned over the head with the fact that these two are in a relationship. And even if you didn't know the context of those two being in the relationship, it'd still be a nice interplay. Obviously, we find out you know, later in this scene when they're talking about, hey, do you want to go make out? Clearly, they're boyfriend and girlfriend, but I like the interplay where right. it's like, I'm not going to bludgeon you to death with the fact that these two are dating. And they're even just then, a- yeah, Jeremy's kind of like, mm, that sounds nice, but I want to work on this. So they're not like totally in your face. You're just like, oh, yeah, that's yeah, right. Exactly. And it's like, oh, Natalie World. They're comfortable. I know about they're Nat- flirty there, but yeah, it's not like exactly. overwhelming. I'm comfortable with Natalie World because I hear about Natalie World all the time right. because she's my girlfriend. She's my <laughs> GF. They find out that Fedrigati is taking Sampras to a fourth set because, as we hear over and over again, he just won't die. We get a little light laugh track peppered in there. Again, really Very subtle. Slight. Just a little bit of laugh track in this episode. It's like two people laughing, though. It's it's so yeah. odd. Like, and, and it happened, too, a little earlier when Casey and Dan are kind of staring each other down when Dan won't stop, like you said, poking the bear. And Casey just gives him the stare and kind of leaning <laughs> back in his chair. You hear, like... A two-person, ah. Because now we can talk about it. <laughs> like, laugh, like that's it. It's a, it's a super subtle laugh track. Honestly, what are we? We're 17 episodes in, and we're still getting some laugh track. Oh this is longer than I remember it. I thought now. it ended by, like, the 13th or 14th yeah, episode. I called it I was halfway. Like, yeah, least, yeah, I think but... you said it exactly. Like, it's like 12 episodes in, and they're Oof. just like, all right, we're good. No more laugh track. Not at all. And these last couple of episodes, it's just like a... <laughs> like one person in the background. It's almost like they accidentally picked somebody up right. in the background Someone laughing. Someone in the studio the was just... They couldn't hold back their laughter. And they're like, no, that sounds good. Leave that in. I want that in. I want that one person laughing to stay in the audio mix for this episode. I'd like to picture some producer or some studio head being like, not ready to let go of the laugh track. Being like, you got to give me one dude. Just give me one guy. <laughs> You know, they're weaning him off of it. So slowly, it's a room full of people, it's five people, now it's just one lonely dude. <laughs> it's an extra who's kind of like, hey, am I gonna? Am I still going to be around next week? Do you guys still need me to do the thing with the laugh? They boost his paycheck because he yeah. technically has a line. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, it's, exactly. like, uh, <laughs> it's all about the union at this point. <laughs> we, we see Natalie showing her competence here. Comes in to the control room, tells everybody to back things up. 45 minutes, everyone be at ready one, talk to the people in the field. And then Dana comes in and repeats her almost verbatim. Almost verbatim. Shows us Natalie knows what she's talking about. She kind of says, we just did this, Dana. Like, ha, it's okay. But now they're going to sit. They're going to wait. What are they going to do? And again, I can you can just see Dana kind of being like, I, I don't. it's like a Ricky Bobby, I don't know what to do with my hands situation. You know, She's like, what do, what do I do now? I have nothing to do. I don't like having things taken out of my control like that, especially in her professional world. This is where she's so good. Uh, Jeremy wants to write the letter to Louise. Natalie wants to hang out. Offers to go get a donut, offers to make out like we just touched on a second ago. And Jeremy's like, mm, that's cool. I'm going to clink away on my giant power book <laughs> and, and type this letter. One note, uh, just going back to our last episode, we get a producer credit for our favorite, Rachel Sweet. It just popped up, and, and I just I saw it pop up. I was like, let me write that down just so, just so you and I can appreciate Rachel Sweet for a moment. So he mentions when he's talking – to Louise through this letter. He's doing the exposition. He mentions the divorce. This was something I wanted to talk to you and about. And I was, I was just so thrown off. I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. This came out of nowhere right. at all. The divorce, spoiler, will play a factor in, in the next few of episodes course, here. yeah. But I was going to ask you, did they mention the divorce prior to this, or did they just throw it out there like it's very matter-of-fact? I don't think you and I have heard anything about Jeremy's parents at all let alone the fact that they're getting divorced all of a sudden. And I wonder, 
you know, obviously we talked about Robert Guillaume not being in this episode, and they did some rewriting, obviously, with some of the plot points taken out. I wonder what the initial draft would have looked yeah. like if Robert Guillaume were healthy and obviously didn't suffer the stroke and was in this episode. Was there going to be some kind of buildup? Because obviously... I want to say it's the next episode as we really get into the yeah. meat of that. Well, so. he seems hardly even bothered by it at this point. Like, it's old news. When yeah. he's just like, oh, it's the divorce. Well, we, we know where he says that Louise is thinking about leaving school. She's really freaked out by this whole thing. Right. But he's kind of like, meh, I'm just writing my letter. Like, he doesn't seem upset. He doesn't seem to, like, at least at this point. And so, yeah, I was like, what? the divorce. The yeah, dis- you, and you'd assume that Louise wants to leave school because she's distraught about the divorce, mm-hmm. right? So Jeremy's writing to her to say, hey, it's all good. Don't worry about that. That has nothing to do with you. You stay in school. Yes. My notes say, this is me talking to myself here, his parents are getting a divorce and Louise isn't so happy about this and wants to leave school. Is this how we find out? <laughs> I said, I don't remember hearing anything about it before. Yeah. Kind of weird narrative if that's the case. I, I thought so too. And I know this is an overloaded exposition episode, but I mean, that was some unexpected exposition, I would say. Ugh. Well, we we see Dana wanting to do something and Jeremy even, while typing the letter, says, I know what's coming, so I'm probably going to have to step away from the keyboard for a second. Dana wants to play garbage can basketball. I like is, how this is part of the letter somehow. They, it's, yeah, <laughs> it's always funny to me when a letter has like, I'll be right back. Like, they don't, do, they're not going to know. What do you, like, if you were to put a break in the letter, would you just use like that line of asterisks? Probably. Because like, yeah. that's what I would Create do. Create a page break. Yeah. Like, I'm back. Yeah, here's, here's my page break and then just, just jump to the next one. So I was just thrown off by that more than anything else. I think it's funny that we're doing the Louise thing again. The director of this episode is Mark Buckland. He only directed two episodes of Sports Night, and the other one is in season two, and the title of the episode is Louise Revisited. Ah. So I just thought that was an uh, interesting connection more than anything else. He really handles these kind of <laughs> He's very, really he's good all with about this type of This particular method of narration <laughs> is a big fan of in terms of how to direct towards it. So Jeremy gets up, storms out of the conference room with Dana, and we go to a commercial. When we come back, this is one of my favorite scenes of the episode here, as as Casey becomes fixated on the provolone cheese, as he uses it as a, an excuse to not talk about or deal with real things. They're still waiting. They're at craft services. Dan is still trying to get this information out of him about whatever he's upset about or what he's going to talk about, and they just have a great back and forth here. Casey, I'll tell you what the problem is here. No provolone cheese? No provolone you're saying you don't want to talk about it. I'm saying I'd like just once for there to be provolone. Is this one of those times when you say you don't want to talk about it, but you really do? No, it's shaping up into one of those times when I say I don't want to talk about it, but we end up talking about it anyway. So I just love the two of them. You got that chemistry. They're just going full, full bore here, and it's great. As they walk and talk, and Jeremy gives us a little more narration, they get to the office, and who is it sitting at the desk but the absolutely, here comes that word again, adorable Rebecca. She is in, uh, I, I think, rare form for this episode. Because we've only kind of known her with the wall and the bricks and the mortar and the third thing. So <laughs> It's just the bricks <laughs> and the mortar. <laughs> so like, so I, I just feel like it's cool to see mad. I like mad girlfriend Rebecca. I like that about like this particular scene. I think it's cool. I think it's fun to see Dan, whom I, I think the only way we knew him in terms of his dealings with women was somewhat of a Lothario, I would guess. Like, he's on TV. He's a good-looking guy. He's described as such by Rebecca when we're first introduced to Rebecca. He's the one constantly handing out dating advice. dating advice. He brings the volleyball player back to the office in the first Louise, in in Dear Louise, (laughs) in the uh, the first time we hear uh, about Louise and Jeremy's sister. 
Uh, I think that was back in episode seven, if I'm not mistaken. And like, we kind of only know him as that. And now we see like, am I in trouble? Like, I love that. I thought that was really cute. And I like how she's not, they don't write her to be like, Overly emotional, no, not psycho girl. She's very calm and matter of fact, and just like, oh, the issue do being, you know, do you know why I'm here? Right. Like, it was funny. I the thought issue it was being good. that he, as we know, at the beginning of this relationship, Dan went to tell her, I can't call you because I'm dating this woman named Elaine, right? And that comes right back, which I love that there's that continuity. Yes. Elaine called while she was sitting there, and so, oh, you told me you weren't going to talk to Elaine anymore. She's calling, and she's not like flying off the handle. She's just kind of like, mm-hmm, all right, what the. Take care of it. You know, she's not in his face. She's not screaming. I think she's she's handled it so well. She's so good. Now, correct me if I'm wrong. He hasn't been talking to Elaine. It doesn't seem like it. Doesn't it. seem like he it, just right? hasn't told her, "Hey, I'm dating somebody." So, so was she in the in his office just because, like, hey, like it seems like she's waiting for him. Like as we learn further in this episode, she wanted to watch him work, right? Which is obviously something he's very excited about, but. She was in his office just, like, chilling at his desk. Right. Well, I, I think it has to do with the hold. Because Dan even says, like, if this guy would have just lost already, that wouldn't have happened. Yeah, like, exactly. Because right, so she would have been in the studio like, watching the so show. So she probably came down because, like, hey, isn't he supposed to be on TV? It's 11 o'clock. She, right. And as we know, Rebecca doesn't know a ton about the sports world or, or the TV world right. necessarily. Well, he does say, we're on a hold. She goes, I heard. Like, she knows. So, yeah. Okay, she's so probably she's, just waiting, like, well, i got nothing else to do. Okay. So she probably was in her office watching TV. 11 o'clock rolls around. It's like, oh, I should go downstairs. And it's like, wait a minute. And, and nothing's tennis happening. And nothing's happening. Right. So she went into the office, and then Elaine happened to call. I love how Dan handles it, too. Like, oh, look, Elaine called for you, Casey. <laughs> but he's, he's just holding up his <laughs> No provolone over here. <laughs> I love that. He just keeps going back to it. Like, I want nothing oh, to oh, do look, with this. Oh, uh, look, Elaine called for you, Casey. <laughs> we get Dan saying, like, listen, Rebecca, I was going to call her, but I'm in pre-show mode. I can't, I can't get shaken out of pre-show <laughs> mode. Dana bursts in right as he finishes explaining that everybody is in pre-show mode. We're all very focused. Dana person. Anyone for some garbage can basketball? Garbage can very basketball? Pe- very yeah. pepped up. Well, there hasn't been the kind of time necessary to make Got a little time on your hands right now, doesn't he, Casey? This is big time television. Guy puts out Swiss cheese, nothing else. Here's the thing. I would do it right now. I would do it right this second. But I'm in sort of a pre-show mode. That's a very delicate energy and it can't be tampered with. All anyone here is thinking about is the broadcast. Guys, on garbage can basketball? Dan's in pre-show mode. <laughs> That's a good one. <laughs> See, the thing about the pre-show mode is that... I'll see you after the show. You bet. Not sure how much I buy into pre-show. I, I think I, I have to believe that I have a pre-show mode, but I think I have less of a pre-show mode than most people. I do know a lot of broadcasters who are like, don't mess around with me once we get like X amount of time within kickoff or tip or first pitch or whatever. They're like, don't mess with me. We're Those... five minutes to air on SportsCenter. Don't you dare talk to me about anything other than what we're doing right now. Those people are the talent. I know you don't <laughs> like it. They're the talent. I think they're the talent. For right. me, I'm just okay. like Ooh, they got they got that like I'm I'm listen, I take my job very seriously and I think anybody who knows me in this in in the business that I'm in and, and, and you do your the, job well. Thank you very much, buddy. I, I I think I think I take it very seriously. I hope I do it well and anybody who knows me knows how seriously I take it, but I don't get super uptight before broadcast i mess around i'll joke like you know your producer is in your ear and i'll count you down hey all right we're, we're on in eight seven six and if i'm close with the producer or i'm in a good mood or i'm feeling loose i'll get into talk back and just start messing with the producer and i'll just like <laughs> i'll start talking about just random things or 
uh, like if we have an inside joke, I'll just start talking about that. Like I'll mess with them all the way up until three, two, one. And my hope is that they just start giggling by the time they're like three, two, one. I just want them to start laughing. And then they're just like, go, for the love of God, just go. <laughs> and I'll go, welcome, everybody, to San Antonio or See, wherever like we're that, at. It feels like you keep some spontaneity and yes, some, some I, looseness it's to fun. it. It's fun. It's supposed to be fun. I take the Like I said, I take the job seriously. I don't take myself too seriously, I hope. And that's the goal you always want to go into. Like, we're just It's just sports, man, especially for us. Like, I know Gordon says it in a kind of disparaging way at the end of this episode. Like, it's, it's sports. It's not news. For us, yeah, it's it's still really important. I as- think you you fundamentally look at it differently than him, though, because the way you say it's sports to me shows that like you kind of are acknowledging like it's sports. We are doing sports for work. Yeah, like, this we're, is enjo- what we we're get supposed to, to be right. fun. Yes, we take it seriously. We'll deliver it to right. you. In the you're like we are lucky necessary. to be doing this. But every right. day you get to go on the air, you're like, this is awesome. Holy crap, we're talking about a, a random basketball game that that. You know, I'm sure millions of people don't care about, but there was like this small chunk of the country, like three to eight million people or whatever, that are like, I want to watch this right. game for some reason. This I whole, don't know why. This whole thing reminds me of the little speech that uh, Billy Haywood gives in Little Big League when the players are taking the game way too seriously. It's a business. And he's yeah. like, You get to play in the same outfield as Joe DiMaggio. You know, like, have fun, relax. Don't you understand? You guys get to play baseball every day. You get to go to Yankee Stadium, play in the same outfield as Joe DiMaggio and Mickey Mantle. You get to go to Fenway Park, step in the same batter's box as Ted Williams. Look, from now on, let's stop worrying about winning and losing. Just go out and play and have fun. Have fun. Look, I know it's a terrible movie, but it's one of my one of my guilty pleasures. You know what? Every time MLB Network puts it on because typically like a couple times a year little big leagues on i would say I more would, than a couple th- times a year yeah you know, MLB probably like double digits. on that hard i would and say I'm double, not complaining no, no, <laughs> not at all because every time it's on i'm gonna watch that movie chris berman makes an appearance in it to, for, for some reason randy johnson comes in as a relief pitcher that one particular <laughs> game it's all hands on deck i guess you have to a little and this will go all the way to the end of the series a little moment i made a note of here is that who does dan call into the room to yell at for not getting his phone calls kim kim and this is going to be a thing where he treats her like a secretary yeah. <laughs> uh we'll keep that going because it's going to happen a few more times exactly but yeah without i mean i guess it's not really a spoiler 30 something like episodes run, it's like from a running now running joke right she'll it's be like, like i'm not joke. your secretary. like she's not He'd be like i thought you were I my secretary you were. It's like no i wasn't the entire time i, I think this is like secretary. the first time we really see her being <laughs> like the in the secretary that role little, that little storyline i love that we go to a new scene Right outside the conference room, and here is garbage can basketball, which is just what it sounds like. Somebody's holding a garbage can. Somebody else throws a Nerf ball. They're basically playing horse. Uh, it's pretty funny. It's pretty entertaining. We see Natalie make, I guess, a bank shot. Well, uh, did you notice the very very odd editing? I'm so glad you <laughs> caught that. Yeah. There's like a quick camera sweep that then cuts quickly to another camera sweep. It's not a one shot. It's really no, weird looking. It, it's a very odd look because I had to go back and look at it a couple of times. I was like... Wait, so she said she was going to bank it off of, like... Off, like the, the, off the conference, off room, the conference glass. room glass. And, like, we don't see that part of it. No. It's just the big camera sweep, and all of a sudden... The, the ball just falls very <laughs> gently into the Which, basketball. I mean, listen, I get it. It's, a, it's an editing technique, so you're not wasting time. With, I'm a little disappointed they didn't I say, But I kind of wanted to see it. It yeah. could have been, like, uh, like Fincher at the beginning of Social Network <laughs> requiring 90 takes. They could have pulled out some, some Kubrick-style moves here. Be like, no, do it again. Do it again. <laughs> In the midst of all the excitement, everyone seems to be kind of okay. They're assuming Samperts will still put him away. We'll, we'll be off the hold pretty soon. We find out once again that 
He just broke his serve. We're not going back quite yet. Jeremy informs, I think, Elliot, who then informs everybody else. Guys, we got a ball game. What? He just broke Sampras' serve. It's 4-2 in the fourth. Doesn't this guy understand that I'm at television? That line that Jeremy says, which I really like, you know, the, he's been on the court with this guy too long, automatically my head went to West Wing. And I know we've made a couple references to that already in this episode, but it reminded me of... I want to say it was a season three episode where Toby and President Bartlett are playing chess, mm -hmm. and he has a very similar line to that. They make this election about smart and not make it about engaged and not qualified and not make it about a heavyweight. You're a heavyweight, and you've been holding me up for too many rounds. You're a heavyweight. You've been keeping me up for too many rounds. I thought that was the same thing and then he puts the you know his king down and i just thought it was kind of like i won't call that a sorkinism but it's that's the writing style right. it's there there's elements definitely in between them we get everyone being very upset again particularly dana she thought all right we got to hold a little bit i can i can kind of work with that now we got to hold again even longer and these she, are like four like natalie's basically saying like another hey let's push him back like another 45 right. minutes that's a long time to wait this isn't like uh you know Oh, we're in hockey going to sudden death or, or extra innings in baseball where it could be over in 10 minutes. Exactly. This is like, we're going to be here for a while. Yeah, and you have to be on your toes for like, especially a hockey game. Like if you're behind, right. if you're the show behind a hockey that game that's end. in overtime, that can end just right. like that. And yeah, we, we, you can't be scrambling. you got to be ready to go. Baseball, you have some sense. It's like, all right, we're going to the bottom of the inning now, guys. Let's be ready to go just in case. I mean, basketball, you know, you know what the timer is. Football, you know what the timer is. But tennis, it's going to be at least six games yeah, in this particular set. And it can go for – if there's a tiebreak, this thing's going to go an hour, maybe even longer. So Actually, one of my favorite elements of televised tennis is that they've got the, the timer running in the back so you can see how long – Oh, yeah. I it's think like, it's great. Jesus. Like, they've been playing guys have been for, going for three, three and a half hours. Yeah. yeah. Like, I really enjoy seeing that. Too. Like, that's a marathon. That's exhausting. That's a test of wills, man. It's a test of physical and mental wills. So, credit to Alberto Fredrigati yeah. for really sticking it <laughs> out not, for all these let's hours. Let's not uh, take anything away from our Italian friend and the future uh, <laughs> prime future minister or ambassador, ambassador of <laughs> for the Italy to the United <laughs> States. Let's not take anything away from his skill set going up against the number one player. <laughs> I really like to... The way that Elliot breaks the news to Dana is to say, we've got a ball game. And she goes to try and make a last-minute call to Gordon, but it turns out he already left. So yep. she's just getting ready for that confrontation that's going to be coming. And she she throws it right back out there. Well, we got ourselves a ball game. I like that kind of that callback, even though it's only like 45 seconds later. I think this is the point where the episode turns a little bit because it's been such heavy exposition. And I know it will continue with Jeremy. Um, but this is where the episode turns because a lot of this was lighthearted for yeah. the first X amount of minutes that we've been sitting here. The last like eight to ten minutes of this episode, really good acting, really subtle stuff, especially when we get into the last couple of scenes. We now kind of have like a storyline. Yes, yes, like we now do, we have yeah. stakes like Gordon and Dana are going to have to duke it out, which is not the easiest thing to do. I would imagine when you've set up the whole episode this way with like, hey, let's jam all this backstory in the letter writing method right. and and give you all this exposition for the episode. Well, how are you going to invest in it? You've basically been told everything. You have no investment into a moment. I think this is what you were talking about at the top. Like if you just tell me something happens, I'm not as invested in it compared to if I were to see it happen right. or I were to figure it out like we did with Gordon and Casey at the end of the last episode. 
you feel invested in it. You're like, yeah, it's oh my like, God, we all found out together. It's a it's a ninth grade creative writing lesson where, you know, the exactly. show don't tell. Like, if you can show me somebody's attributes or something instead of just saying, you know, she was happy, that's so much better. And that's how you get away from it with the exposition. A couple times, Jeremy says, oh, you should have seen. Like, well, just show it to just me. Just show like, me, yeah, exactly. Then we'll see it. Like, you, we, have a, you, we have a visual medium here. This is television. Do you critique your students, like, in that capacity a little bit? I critique them about a lot of things, <laughs> and that is one of them. That is definitely one of them. I do a show l- me, show me, don't tell me. Yes, although all they want to do is tell, and usually it's not worth listening to. But that's just like you know, I feel bad for saying that now. <laughs> your t- do your students <laughs> listen to this podcast? I hope not. Let's put it that way. We go to a commercial. We come back. We are still waiting for the match to end. Everyone is backed up another forty-five minutes. It's about. I think they they confirm it in a few minutes, but it's about twelve thirty now. Yeah. We're an hour and a half past the regular start of the show. Uh, Dana, very upset, even though we find out she won $50, apparently, playing garbage can basketball. Uh, she just keeps saying, and everyone keeps saying, he won't die. Like, no one, and this is interesting to me, too. I actually made a note of it here. They're all so angry about what seems to be a pretty cool sports cool story. story. Yeah, right. yeah, you would yeah. think they'd be excited to report on it. Like, earlier, when, if you go all the way back to the pilot, when we talk about, like... Untazaki Nelson. Untazaki Nelson. Oh, it's great. When you go back to that, that's like a... They were so excited to report on what is this pretty obscure out there story this would be something you would expect people would be pumped about but they're all just so mad because they have to hold they have to hold yeah and i, and I think part of it too and we get a little bit more of establishment of this when sally comes into the episode but it's like if you get to like we talked about drop dead time you get to a certain drop time you're not gonna get to report on this story right, if this thing true. keeps going to one o'clock in the morning then it's like well i guess we're not uh i guess we're not gonna talk about it i'm assuming this is the australian open Right? Is this if they're if they're going on at like eleven if o'clock at night? March. When's the Australian Open? Is it March? No, that's typically in like January. Yeah, so uh, it could be because like, it's uh, it's certainly. I guess it must. Maybe it's not a major, but it's a certainly something that's happening overseas. Yeah, because it's it's not ha- it's not the U.S. Open. I right. think. Although I guess it could be, but that's mm-hmm. in August, so they wouldn't. I'd like to think they wouldn't use that. We know they play a little fast. They do. They, they, they play fast lights. and lose with time and uh, and the calendar. But yeah, I was just I, I was just kind of curious. Well, according that. to uh, IMDb trivia, this was actually the 1998 U.S. Open second round match in which a guy named Paul Goldstein actually took Sampras to four sets, which was kind of a parallel line. That's the footage. Doesn't mean that's what they were right, supposed right. to be They're in the using universe. Footage from the U.S. Open, but just, but to, just if, to get that out there. I, I mean, we've kind of established that. The time that this episode, or most of these episodes, air is around the time it that, should they, be. That, that they take place. So we're, you're a little, not gonna... we're a little hard on them if it's not. Too. I know, and I feel, I feel like we've only had one like real issue in like seventeen episodes or sixteen. The first sixteen episodes, I think it was the trade deadline thing that threw us both off. And other than the that, they've been pretty strong in terms of the timeline. To go right off of what you were saying there, when you're getting off to that, well, they keep calling it dumping the show. They don't want to dump the show to Sally. Uh, we find out that. She has that option. Natalie, in fact, which was surprising to me. Natalie kind of says, you could give the show to Sally. I think just as her friendship with Dana comes out, like, I'm worried about your relationship more than anything else. Because we know Natalie's not wild about Sally also. Uh, But we know that that's there. It's it's considered, though, by Dana, a worst-case scenario, which Natalie says, isn't this kind of the worst-case scenario? Would you rather break up with Gordon or would you rather be stubborn? The layers that Natalie possesses always seem to come out at really opportune times. I think it's really cool that she's like kind of goofy and adorable earlier in this episode. And then she's diving into, you shouldn't let your feelings about X, Y, and Z affect how you do your job. But also I'm also your friend. 
and I don't want to see your boyfriend break up with you. I love how she points out, would you feel differently if it weren't Sally? Yeah. Like, I love that she's hitting all these different layers. Natalie's a bit of a sage. I think we could safely say she's probably the youngest member of the group. I would say, say so, yeah. I think and she's yet she than seems Jeremy. to be the one who, other than Isaac, is able to come up with these little nuggets of truth more than anyone else. Yeah, she's she's got a little bit of uh, Isaac in her, I think, in that capacity. I think she is kind of the sage, the the one that has a level head about most things when they don't involve her. I love also when Seinfeld and Sports Night collide, and I feel like there's a bit of this here as well, when Dana is so freaked out because Gordon is coming here, and she's a little... Oh, my God. Right. I love this. She's Absolutely. a little freaked out. It's, uh, the, it's the world's colliding theory, she says. It's, it's like a world where I'm confident is running smack dab into a world where I'm not confident. Absolutely, which is, by the way, as it, we've talked about, the underlying theme of this entire series, right. basically, the world where... I feel good about myself is colliding with the world where I don't like myself at all and have a high amount of self-loathing, right. this which is, is pretty much Seinfeld, too. This is Relationship George and Independent George, and if Relationship George <laughs> walks through that door... Wait, wait, have you spoken to Elaine yet today? No, why? She called Susan last night. Oh, yeah, I know. How do you know? That was my idea. <laughs> Your idea? Yeah. What'd you do that for? She was looking for someone to go to the show with. Well, that was really a stupid thing. You know what's going to happen now? Worlds collide. What? Yeah. <laughs> because this world is your sanctuary, and if that world comes in contact... Yes, with... it blows up. So if you know that, what did you tell Elaine for? I didn't know. Kramer told me about the worlds. You couldn't figure out the world's theory for yourself? It's just common sense. Anybody knows you got to keep your worlds apart. Yeah, I guess I slipped up. And, and I, I think it's very apt. I'm sure a lot of shows are written like this. Yeah, I don't think everyone feels that way, too. She even says somewhere in there, she says, too, it's like when your parents come to school. Yeah. Which is 100. I mean, everyone has some place, be it work or be it with your group of friends or whatever, where you feel one particular way. You've got an element about you that you don't have elsewhere. And if you have to have that awkward, like, oh, I have to bring my work friends to, like, my regular friend's party or something. Yeah. That's going to be weird because they, they kind of know you as a different person. Maybe. I, I I introduced a girl to my friends, like, a month ago. I went to a wedding, and I, I brought this girl who none of my friends knew, and she, you know, that hey, sink or swim. <laughs> enjoy, enjoy. Try to acclimate yourself to these six people that you've never met in your entire life before who by the way are some of my closest friends so you know it's interesting to 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 see how people react in those situations but how relatable of a situation is that i mean everybody has had that before i have to give two thumbs up to mr buckland for this really cool tracking shot i know where you're going yeah. it's it's as uh, dana and natalie are walking through the studio we see them walking through the studio by going to three different monitors yep. that are tracking them from the three cameras yep i think it's awesome it's maybe the coolest shot so far that was the best shot of the episode by far i thought that was so well done so well executed really really cool and it shows you a little bit of the scramble that dana's in right now She's broken up right. into like a lot of like I thought it was really Look well at done. You. I had a little subtext here. That was awesome. No, it's just it just shows how fractured she is right now. Like, hey, where where is she coming from? Where is she going? She's in here in this spot, she's in this spot. All these worlds that she's, she's frantically occupying. walking and stress eating. Absolutely. And like yeah, I love that too. That's so subtle. Her mouth's full. Her mouth's full throughout the whole conversation with Natalie. I didn't even think about that until you brought that up. Oh, yeah. But yeah, she's stress eating. She's like, no, <laughs> no, we're not gonna dump the show. I don't care what you're saying. We're gonna dump the show. 
And then as she walks in, in the middle of this diatribe, she turns and says, And my honey do! That's <laughs> a great as, reaction. There is our boy Ted McGinley. Handsome Gordon, Ted's back. Just standing there. And I've got a weird comment about, well, actually, you can't tell quite yet. There's another shot later where it's very close. He's wearing the weirdest ensemble I've ever seen in my life. He seems to have like a blue Oxford shirt yeah. underneath a gray polo that's mostly buttoned up underneath a black blazer yeah it's, it's like a very weird... strange look that he's got how is this like the yuppiest of yuppie looks in like the late 90s it might be I, i've got a couple of strange observations about about costume i guess or just the clothing style okay at some point gordon's wearing that at some point casey wearing just that 90s suit that's like really high-waisted his shirt is huge and puffy and boxy yeah it's a it's very a fat it's tie a, it's a it's a very, very i was gonna say it's a very wide tie it's like all sorts of just, I, I think, even though this is kind of maybe back in fashion, Rebecca seems to be wearing almost like a t-shirt under a blazer, too. I don't know. There's a lot of weird, like, this is 90s. Yeah. The suits thing, especially, though, it reminded me of that. Have you ever seen that picture of, like, the the 2000 NBA draft class next to, like, the 2010 <laughs> NBA draft class? The suits are suits unbelievable. Are so much bigger, and everything else is so much more form-fitting now. Yes. But so that's what it reminded me of, just seeing it being like, that kind of sticks out. Well, I mean, <laughs> it's even more entertaining when you go keep going back a little further and further. I wonder if it will. We've, we've said on this show several times that fashion is cyclical. Things go. Casey, at some point, we've been saying, like, he's a little ahead of his time. He's a little ahead of his time, yeah. I wonder if, slash hope that it doesn't come back to that (laughs) that weird-looking suit. But I guess we'll see. Because, I mean, the Mad Men thing, kind of slimmer-fitting skinny ties came back. Yeah. Does that mean in, like, 2030, the giant Giant 90 suits suits are going to be back? back And very boxy-looking shirts, perhaps. Oh, boy. I think at that point, we'll all just be wearing, like, silver jumpsuits. That's true. I think that's what we're gunning for, (laughs) Jetson style. Gordon comes back is excited he's like let's go they're waiting for us and the news gets broken to him right away we're still on a hold and he just like just like that switches to uh, he's just exasperated really like i can't believe this and i mean how many times have we seen it on camera at least twice i think at this point including the dinner scene when uh casey comes out on the double date with dana and gordon and lisa i think we've gotten we've gotten used to this now at this point he he can he can be kind of a dick, <laughs> for, for, <laughs> for uh, lack, of, lack a better, of a better term. He can be a little bit of a dick. And he is right here, too, where he kind of like, he's very patronizing as he kind of talks down to both Dana and Natalie. About you know, like, it, yeah, your job's not that important. Yeah, like Natalie explains, like, I can't, produce, I didn't prep this show. I didn't put it together. Like, Dana has created this show from the stories that have been dealt to her. And then and he's like, isn't it just pushing just buttons, pushing buttons and calling numbers? numbers? And she's like. Do you produce a lot of live TV at the DA's office or whatever? And, of course, he, he condescendingly yeah. corrects her and gets right back into, well, come on, what are we doing here? Ugh. And not to, not to be a Gordon-esque, but this was what I wanted to mention earlier. Like, Natalie clearly is competent. She knows what she's doing. She was at all the rundown meetings. I kind of think Natalie could have done it if, I mean, if they really didn't want to go to yeah, Sally. She I, think, done it. I think she could have done it. I, and I think at this point, if you're Dana... Wouldn't you rather give it to Natalie? Absolutely, like, I would rather. I'm not give it saying to Gordon was right in the way he's acting here, but he's not completely wrong. No, he's not completely wrong. Obviously, this is MacGuffin. This is the story right. device being pushed. We at need us. this to happen. Yeah, but. but like from a real life perspective, if something like if you're producing my show and you know you have a family emergency or something, 
wouldn't you just give it to the person sitting next to you that you know has done this before? That, of and that you was would. there throughout the whole prep. Uh, yeah. thing. I don't know. So that that was a little detail. So he's not wrong. He's not he's wrong. Just he's certainly just, but being he's definitely a dick. Right. <laughs> he's being he's being Gordon. And as if her ears were tingling, yes. in comes Sally. There's some weird flirty stuff. It's like this introduction. We, of course, at this point, as we've already said, we know that they've slept together at least right. once. And they do this kind of like, oh, yeah, I think maybe we haven't met introduction. And yeah, Sally, Sally goes, uh, Gordon, and like sticks out her hand to shake Gordon's yeah, and hand. And he goes, oh, that's funny. My name's Gordon, too. And oh. I'm like, oh, his tone <laughs> changed quite quickly there, didn't it? Like, like, that's the thing with Ted McGinley's character. And he plays it great. His tone changes, like, moment to moment. Remember the episode prior? He just sounded so great. Like, Dana's raving about how happy he right. sounded. And then that was post fi- us. Fi- I mean, we find out that he had slept with Sally. So, right. yeah, he's in a much better mood all of a sudden. And then here he comes into this episode charging in, pissed off about the fact that she can't go to dinner. And then Sally walks in, oh, yeah, how's everything going? And, like, <laughs> this, is, this guy is very moody in that capacity. I feel like Sorkin wrote the character to, we have said before, in the first however many episodes he's around, he's really charming. Yes. And we, it's hard to It's hard not to turn like that him. off. Right. And, but, and it's hard but, to turn that off no matter what. Well, if this you're is, not dealing with... This is what's so great about it. Like, now that we know, oh, he's actually despicable. Yeah. Like, now... He's a little more transparently kind of a dick, you know? Yeah, like, it kind of goes back to what we were talking about. Your perception of things right. changes how you now approach you them know. appreciate like, oh. them. And now you know this little fact, and your whole conception of what this guy is has completely changed. I know I've said this before on the show, too, but am I an old man? When, I, when we're hearing about Gordon's friends waiting at the restaurant, and Dana says, it'll be another hour and a half tops. It's 1230 are they still going to be at the restaurant at 2 o'clock they're, in the morning? I don't think they're going to be there, like, A. And, but, and you would think, by the way, that this is a weeknight. So, you know, if it's us, and it could be a Friday night, like, let's right. not assume. But they're going to dinner. They're going to dinner. <laughs> like, and listen, I, I've got to, I'm going to Salt Lake City. Uh, the time that we're recording this, the next morning, I'm going to Salt Lake City. I've got a 9 p.m. dinner schedule because that's when all of us are going to be together. We're going to a 9 p.m. dinner in Salt Lake City. That's mountain time. We're recording this in Central. So that's basically a 10 o'clock dinner I have planned on going to that, when I get into Salt Lake City. That to me sounds so late. That's it's really late. Like, My even, stomach getting, growled hearing you say exactly, that. Exactly. Like I'm getting to that point where that is really late. And, and again, even at 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock dinner, I've been sitting at a restaurant at midnight before in Chicago on a Saturday night finishing a sure. large Italian finishing. meal. But finishing <laughs> at midnight, not starting it up. It reminds me of... Spain, particularly Barcelona, in Spain in general, they have a very laid back kind of lifestyle. Sure. They don't eat dinner till ten, ten thirty, and then and don't they go out? They go out. They don't go out till like midnight. So the first night we were in Barcelona, we went and we got there. It was a long day of traveling. It was like nine o'clock. We ate dinner. Restaurant was almost empty because like no one had gone no, out to dinner you, yet. So you, that's basically the early bird special, right? You're, when you that's walk the into a, right there. to like in, in in Italy or Spain, right. For dinner at nine, you're like. It's 5 o'clock, basically, in the afternoon well, somewhere else. Well, we finished, went back kind of to our, our hotel, front desk hotel, and we're like, hey, uh, it's like 11 o'clock. Well, maybe we'll get a drink, and then we'll go to bed a little early tonight. Where's a good place to get a drink around here? He's like, now? Like, no one's really open yet. They don't really start open. They're like, open we're like, yet? We're like, what? At 11? <laughs> so, like, so midnight's not even peak hour. No, that's like, midnight's get like, going. That's like the club just opened up. Right. They go till <laughs> 4, 4.30, 5 o'clock. Wow. It's insane. But, I didn't realize that. I, got, oh, yeah. I, I mean, I knew there was a shift of time. We did one night 
like, like that. that. And it was like, that's plenty. <laughs> it was intense. And all I could keep saying to our cab driver was afterwards, and it was about, it had to be close to five o'clock in the morning at this point. I just kept going, comida es muy importante. I just kept repeating that. I was like, I need food. Yeah, food very, now. Yeah. Like, it, there's nowhere even open. There's no, like, El Burrito to go to. It was very, it's a different element. Yeah, but I get like, what you're saying. Like, that's the norm in some cultures. And here I'm like, they're going to be eating when? This is insane. I've gotten to the point, you know, just talking about being an old man. I was uh, in uh, New Orleans for a bachelor party uh, a couple of months back. And I always kind of like wonder, like, how, how many more of these nights can I really <laughs> can I really take at this point? And we went out. I, I was only there for two nights. They had been there. Like, I was just I was joining them late. They'd been there for like four nights overall. So I go in. And, like, I have a great time. We're out to, like, 4 or 5 o'clock in the morning, get back to the hotel. We're, you know, playing video. We brought, brought a Nintendo <laughs> from a buddy's match where we're playing video games. It was great. We had a blast. And then you wake up the next morning. You're a little hungover. You're a little tired. You want to go get breakfast, but you're, like, you barely slept. You've slept for, like, three hours. And then you have the whole day to put together because that's, like, the night we're going to kill it because that's the night. That's the last night right. we're there, so we have to put it together. We go out until like 5, 6 o'clock in the morning again, Oof. and I've got a noon flight the next day. And I get to the airport, and I call my brother, and we were just talking about it. He's like, how was it? I was like, listen, man, I, I found my limits. <laughs> like, this is, this is it. This is the limit. I can put together back-to-back nights like that before I'm done. And I can only imagine that time is going to get slimmer and slimmer oh, man, as I get I older. I give you and older. credit. I'm proud of you for that. <laughs> Holy jeez. Oof. It's nothing like your 5 a.m. excursions well, though, no, in Spain. Well, no, I'm I'm very glad that I'm not alone. In the, I'm glad you're not like, well, what's what's the matter with going to the dinner salon? Like, I'm glad you're no, feeling. No, the dinner and the, and, well, the, the dinner, dinner right, thing I can thing. still understand, but at, like going out after is a little yeah. rough. Ugh, jeez. But we get a new scene as as Casey sees Gordon and sees Dana and Gordon kind of being lovey and kissy out there. He goes into the room and he's like, "All right, I'm going to talk about it. I'm talking about it." And, and it was a gr- and it was a great shot, by the way, too. Like you go straight from. You know, Gordon and Sally shaking hands and Dana going, oh, that's hilarious. You go right into the shot from far away, from distance, from the office, and the door closes in that same shot, and you see Casey's head come out. Like, it's really, really well shot. That's my second favorite behind the Dana walking through the set. It's shot. a good one. And I also like the way that Casey just keeps telling Dan, Gordon had my shirt. He just keeps saying it. Gordon had my shirt. And Dan knows that Sally had his shirt, and I love seeing Dan just slowly start to unpack what's being said. We're like, wait a second, does that mean? And then he figures it out. Show and me, don't tell me. Yeah, that's it. That's, that's brilliant. That's what we're this talking is it. About. This yeah. is where they did it. Where he slowly is just like, so that means, and like he pieces it together. And Dan's a bright guy. He went to Dartmouth, but he, <laughs> as, a, as he's <laughs> want to tell you. Yes. But as he figures it out, it's it's so good that he figures out. Oh my god! Like and gets it, and he's like, why is he still? Or why is Dana still with him? Yeah. And then we get really another kind of bombshell. It's been about a week, we find out, and, and Casey has not told Dana. Because in order for him to tell Dana that Gordon slept with Sally, he has to say that he also slept with Sally. And yeah. that seems to be what he's really afraid of. What's the bigger bombshell? You know, and in Casey's mind, it would be Dana. Like, what would Dana be more upset about? Would it be Gordon or Casey right. <laughs> sleeping with Sally? What would be more? And wouldn't you think it'd be Gordon, any normal person in any normal circumstance would be like, oh, my God, the person I've been dating for the better part of a year, let's call it, has been cheating on me. That would be the most devastating news, right? Yeah. And Casey has to think about that, whether that's his own ego or whether that's the knowledge of 
his and Dana's relationship. It is he, such he a feels like it's very strongly such an interesting character moment too because we've been reminded over and over again they've known each other for 15 years they're very very close you know he he gives her advice as a friend one day like they're very tight and now he's faced with like but i have to tell her something about me that she's not gonna like too you know that he wants to tell her like hey this guy's no good we know that he doesn't like him to begin with but like now he's got evidence and for a week he hasn't said anything it's like it's a very cool not cool like but you know it's a very interesting thing to happen I love that, going back to that shot, I love that the handshake between Sally and Gordon is what triggered all of this. He sees that, and he's like, that's it. I got I to gotta tell somebody about it. This is too much for me to handle. I have to let it out. And now that you mentioned the handshake, the gall of Gordon. Oh, yeah. To be, man. Wouldn't you have some semblance See, of shame? They like, made him absolutely, like, you're like, man, Gordon sucks yeah. in this episode. Like, <laughs> what, a, what a heel turn this was. How many WWE times have I said, he's style. so charming? Oh, my God. <laughs> like, I, I, I can't imagine what that situation would be like, obviously. My girlfriend is there, and her arch nemesis is next to her, whom, by the way, I I cheated on my girlfriend with. Like, very recently. I, very, yeah, right. very, within the last week. I don't know how I would react in that situation, but I cannot imagine trying to play it off by being overly flirtatious. I would just be like, oh, Sally, it's really nice to meet you. I wouldn't be mean to the person, but I wouldn't like right. I would, in front of my girlfriend just start flirting with her. Outwardly flirting. Like, I know it's tough to turn. corny, terrible flirting. Absolutely. I, I'm never, I, I, that line would never work, I hope. No, God. <laughs> oh, that's God, funny. No. My name's Adam, too. Oh, try it. Yeah, let's see how let's see how far that takes me. Somebody out there, please try it. <laughs> Email <laughs> us those stories at gmail.com. Let us know how it works. Yeah, let, let give us a quick synopsis of that encounter. <laughs> Jeremy walks in right after Casey's dropped the bombshell and he's kinda like, Oh, I'm taking a break from the letter. I think uh I think Dana might, might dump, be ready yeah. to dump the show and Casey is just super confident. Adamant. No way. No way she's gonna drop the show, right? Uh, Gee, he actually says, as you mentioned, I've known Dana 15 years. Yeah, there it is. Happens to mention it right there. It's like, no, I'm not dropping the show. No or chance. She's not jumping the show. Uh, but they're going to meet in the conference room eventually to kind of discuss options. But he's just like, nope, never going to happen. And then he closes out the scene by reminding Dan again, I don't want Dana to know. Yeah. And I like that it's kind of still vague. He doesn't want to know then Gordon or that he was sleeping exactly, sadly. Yeah. Like we still have that in the air, which is really cool. We go to a new scene, and Rebecca is kind of sneaking around the studio, looking around between the cameras. We get some really cheesy, romantic, snuffy guitar chords, which I thought was a little bit much. You weren't a fan point. of this one? It was. I usually love the man, but it was just kind of like <laughs> it was overdone, I guess. I don't know. But we get a really nice kind of moment between Dan and Rebecca where she's kind of looking around, obviously anticipating or looking forward to seeing Dan in action and he comes waltzing right in and says, ah, just the market analyst I was looking for. And it's they get a, to have a little, cute, little it's, it's almost like their own little meat cute. There's adorable the again in my notes. <laughs> Dan says, listen, I called Elaine, left a message, right? I told her I'm seeing this woman, Rebecca. She's wonderful. I can't talk to her anymore. And uh, he is nervous. You can just tell, right? He starts to have a little pitter patter with her. Like, can I call you back? Do you like Bex? Is yeah. Bex good? And she's sort of like, listen, Still very calm. I, re- I, I really respect Rebecca in this episode for having a reason to be upset. They've gone out a couple times. He told her he wasn't going to talk to this woman anymore. She's still like, listen, you want to you talk to Elaine? Talk to Elaine, right? She's very kind of calm about it. Very level-headed about it, seemingly. Uh, but we find out here that we've got this, this impromptu meeting. Jeremy says, I think we might go to Sally. And it's like, oh, no, Dan switches the panic mode. I thought, I, I wrote a little note first. Like, it's almost 1 o'clock in the morning. 
why is she still at work? She's like, I'll be in my office. But then it's pretty obvious, right? She's like, she wants to watch Dan at work. She wants to see Dan do his thing. Like, yeah. that's a big deal for her, which really says a lot about these two and how they're seemingly growing. We don't know a ton uh, about how these two have developed other than the exposition that Jeremy gave us earlier in the episode. Like, well, Rebecca had this ex-husband and Dan's having trouble breaking through all of that. Uh, I think Kim, even when she came in at one point, was kind of making fun of Dan. Like, oh, can't get the green light with Rebecca <laughs> huh? or whatever. Like, he's trying to break through. And clearly she's showing some – she's complimenting him, saying he's ha- – I-, I wanted to see a show. I heard the anchors were very handsome. Like, she's peppering all that stuff. In. Clearly she likes him. And we finally get our first real true sense of these two people like each other. Yeah. I mean, prior to this, it had been almost all – Unrequited. Yeah, Dan Dan, like, hey, hey, what's up? Almost obsessively stalking her, yeah. And we know that it's really important to Dan, too, to see, or to have Rebecca see him in his element, in his where he's confident, where he's... Yeah, where he's at his best. Right. He said said that in in past episodes. I want her to see me on the show. That's me at my best. I put all my time into being my best for that hour. So uh, it's nice to see that they're both... Even though she's still... It's one o'clock in the morning. She's like, well, I guess I'm going to go back to my office. (laughs) Where you know you're damn sure there's no one else on that floor walking around at one o'clock in the morning. So she's just alone looking at actuary tables or whatever (laughs) it is she does. Before going to this impromptu meeting, though, we get a nice little sweet moment, too, where we know that Rebecca's kind of had had a tough marriage. Steve Sisko was kind of messing around on the side, maybe cheated on her. Yeah. So she obviously is a little hesitant about getting into a relationship, but he tells her just point blank, I, I would never make a fool out of you. Right? Very serious Dan moment. Yeah. And she's kind of like, why Why would you say that? What made you say that? Well, like, you, you know. know you yeah. know why she, what, why you asked that question or why he asked you that question. And, and you know what? I love Dan's reaction to it. He's just like, oh, nothing. Don't worry about it. They both know. Like, you both know why that question was asked. And the fact that Rebecca just kind of answered it that way and Dan responded pretty much in kind, I think they both kind of recognize, hey, I, I trust you. Basically, yeah. Rebecca's kind of like, I, I understand. It's kind of like when you do that uh, that young in love thing and you want to tell somebody, you want to drop an I love you and you go, hey. And they go, what? And you're like, never mind. It's never almost mind. that. Like, you know exactly <laughs> what I was going to say. You know why I said that. Oh, we go to the scene, the impromptu meeting, but outside we have got Gordon being a dick again really kind of yelling at dana <laughs> yeah. here pointing out that she can ditch the show she can come to dinner with him and his friends but she's choosing not to right so again really kind of disrespecting her job and the fact that she wants to do her job yeah again they made him so irredeemable the shine has come off apparently yeah the shine is off the apple as they say <laughs> uh dan is walking through to get to the meeting and and gordon's kind of like oh hey daddy boy you know trying to be friendly and dan's just giving him this look like well because obviously now he knows about he knows the, about the, the indiscretions yes and so yeah so he's just kind of staring at him like mm-hmm. yeah like, like he says something like oh late night for you guys huh and dan's like what like yeah, he's just so kind of ignoring like, him like he's so distracted by the fact that he he has now cheated on his friend right yeah. like he's got that going on and it, that's a lot of weight for dan to carry around i feel yeah. like too because, you know, we've seen him before kind of try to play so to, his therapist, so to speak, to sure. everybody. And now he's got to hold this information that his his best friend gave him about another one of his best friends and her relationship. Well, it's funny because the next scene, he like the continuation of the scene, when he walks into the conference room, he kind of... He kind of hits Sally yeah. with a little bit of a jab too. He basically he basically calls her a slut, like walking <laughs> into the room. By the way, 
the HR? <laughs> <laughs> that seemed like a little inappropriate, admittedly. It, it reminded me of in that same room when Casey said to Dana a few episodes ago, is it nature special time? Oh, God. Like, we, all kinda, we all kind of like cringed. Like we, we heard that line. This is not as cringeworthy because we're all kind of like, yeah, screw you. So yeah. You suck too. But like sort of inappropriate in a conference room full of right. people. He walks in and just... Bursts in the door and goes like, hey, Sally, you must have slept with this guy, Fedrigati. How long do you think you can keep this up? <laughs> <laughs> and, and you know what? I actually kind of like Sally's response. I was just thinking, it's been such a long time since Dan says something charming to me, and then there it was. I do what I can. What's going on? Sally can hold her own. I actually thought that was a really good retort. I enjoyed that. <laughs> so it's not only the fact, though, that he clearly is angry at Gordon because he's cheating on his friend Dana. He's also kind of mad at Sally because... Lady, you slept with my friend's boyfriend. Right. Like, that's not a cool thing like, either. We know he didn't like her to begin with. He's called her like a vampire before. Like, I, I say she's she wants to destroy all of, uh, Metropolis, all of Metropolis or whatever, right? Yeah, like, he clearly didn't like her before, and this is only exacerbating his dislike for this woman. But I get it. Like, hey, lady, you're, you're messing up a lot of my friend's relationships, and you're sleeping with my best friend, and... And, and I get it. Like I, I, I've been. I've, admittedly, I've been in that situation before. Oh. I have. I, I did a bad thing once. A friend of mine had been cheated on. One of my good buddies had been cheated on by his, you know, eventually his ex girlfriend. And he told me about this, and he was heartbroken. We're sitting at a bar, and we start drinking. Like this is totally cliched, obviously. <laughs> and then we got to the point where we might have been overserved, and I go, "Yeah, give me your phone." <laughs> like this is a bad start to any process <laughs> at all and he's like no, no, no i know what you're gonna do you don't want as he reaches into his pocket as he's literally handing me the phone he's like no don't do it so i i i called his his ex-girlfriend and she was drunk at a party as well <laughs> And Obviously, I was like, a, a ripe, perfect, nice, mature conversation about the <laughs> Oh, clearly. Here. I was like, oh, hey, there's some things from our buddy. <laughs> I, uh, what's, what's that all about? And she like got into a quick kind of like drunk, ha, 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 what do, you, what do you mean? And I'm like, I got really serious, and I started yelling at her, and it was the first time in my life I had ever called somebody the C word. Oh, boy. <laughs> I dropped that mother of all bombs. I, I imagine that didn't go over It very did not. Well. <laughs> I felt justified <laughs> in it. But man, I found out later like she was with a mutual friend of ours at this party and apparently she like went into a closet and started like crying and You sent I a girl into a closet? I sent a girl crying into a oh. closet because I called her. I felt so bad when I heard that. But I was like, yeah, you cheated on my yeah. friend. Like, come on. Your heart was I, in the right my place. My heart was in the right place. My execution was terrible. Well, I feel like this is, you don't get a lot of practice in that situation. No, like, this was a new situation for me. Haven't done that since, proud to say. <laughs> <laughs> Haven't uh, resorted to those tactics since. But uh, uh, yeah, not probably not my finest moment as a person. Felt like pretty justified as a friend, but not a very good person in that moment. Man, well, you're the kind of guy I want on my side. <laughs> when when, when things you, go down. I appreciate loyalty, even if it's a, a misplaced action. <laughs> Outside the conference room, post uh, Hey Sally, You Slut, <laughs> we've got Dana and Gordon in the kind of Dana and Gordon argument we're used to seeing them have. Yeah. He is still just like, look, 
you need to drop the show. You need to you need to do something here. You got to give me something. Dana saying, of course, this isn't just a hobby. This is my job. This is you know what I love to do. And he gives her an ultimatum. Basically, he flat out says, "I need to get something from you," or and kind of trails off. Yeah. And it's just this moment of like, oh, oh no, like this is decision time. Dana kind of pauses, pauses, and then says like, "You know what?" and turns, swings open the conference room door, and announces, "I'm ditching sports tonight." Right? I'm. I'm dropping the show. Tremendous nonverbal acting on both sides here between Ted McGinley and Felicity Huffman. I was really impressed with this because, A, the trail off, and and Dana goes, wait, what? Or what? Or what? And there's just that pause there. Gordon's not saying anything. And then Dana, like, you see her, like, kind of clasp her fingers together. And there's, like, this pained look. Like, she's about to start crying. And then she says, you know what? And you, like, I thought she was going to break up with him right there. Would have just assumed yeah, she would have you know turned what? around and be like, you know, screw you, screw right. you. This is this is my family. This is my life. I love these people. And I thought that's based on that nonverbal acting that we saw. That might have been the case. And it turns out it's a total one eighty. It's everyone in the room is kind of shocked. Gordon himself even swing. You see, there's yeah, a, like a half second shot it. of him just swinging around, like what, what, like he baffled. <laughs> and I wonder. Gordon kind of seems like he's wanted to dump her for a while. Do you think he was finally like, hey, this is this is going to yeah, be, this is the last know, well, straw. Well, this might be a good thing for me. That's I'm a, out of here. That's a point I didn't even think about before. And he you know what? You, he's like, certainly surprised. It's certainly a feasible thing based on what we, he's already cheated on her. So he's like, whatever, okay, I cheated yeah. on you at this point. And he's clearly not happy and he's frustrated. And listen, some of the things that he's frustrated about are reasonable things to be upset about when you're in a relationship with somebody. But, Maybe he was kind of like, eh, yeah, this, yeah, this is my, is, this I'm is just, the out. Hey, I'll give her the ultimatum, and uh, she'll probably be like, no, screw you, and I'm free. It seems like he, much like Casey, was pretty confident she was not going to walk away from that show, right? Even yeah. though he was, he was mad about it, he was mad about it because he thought she wasn't going to do it, you know? Wow, that's so, an interesting parallel because both of them, like Gordon, is reacting the way he's reacting because he has no faith that Dane is going to leave the show. And Casey's talking about, like, no, I've known her for 15 years. She's not going to dump the show. And yet. And that's another, you were just saying a second ago, the the nonverbal acting, the facial expressions. Peter Krause kills it as well. He looks, oh, he looks yeah, devastated. Yeah. yeah. In fact, Jeremy says something in his, in his narration in the letter about how it looks like a string inside of him broke. And it does. He just looks like shocked and heartbroken, basically, that like Dana's ditching us. Yeah. She's, she's choosing Gordon over us. Which is the last thing he ever thought she yeah. would do, right? He said over and over in this episode, she will not ditch this show. Yeah. And there it is. Credit to the show for having built up, you know, the tension about this whole, is she going to choose Gordon? We know now, even with the, the Sally Gordon situation, Casey's going to be mad and he's going to be hurt by this. And Jeremy, we didn't need the line, but he tells us point blank. I have a hunch it's going to be a while before Casey and Dana are quite the same with each other. She's, he's, he's hurt. He's, he's hurt and he's probably going to be mad too at the same time. And so they go. They they head out to their one thirty dinner, I guess, <laughs> while the show goes Cla- on. Classic one thirty dinner. And we get. I mean, the benefit of the the narration, the benefit of the letter framework here, is that in the last really ninety seconds of this episode, we get to tie everything up, and we find out a lot of information. Like without that, that'd be tough to do. But we find out, hey, Sally does a great job, right? Sure. She's good at what she does. We find out Rebecca, and again, adorable, is so psyched and excited and just thrilled to be in a studio during she's, a live she's broadcast. Giddy. Like, she's giddy. She's thrilled. Like, oh, my God, it's happening. I can't believe it. Oh, my God, look, the, the clock, it's at 30. And Dan's trying to, like, settle her. Hey, show mode. 
show mode. <laughs> this is a real thing. Remember that thing, the show mode? And she's like, oh, I'll just, I'll just go over here. Like she's so happy to be a part of this. <laughs> the smile on Dan's face, the fact that he's so happy to see her being so happy is just like, ah, oh, these kids. Like you feel really good. After you just watch this like almost devastating moment, you get this nice moment of like, look how happy they are. And I like that Casey recognizes that. He's like, hey, hard not to hard not to like her. And tell me about it. Like right? Casey's clearly we just saw him crushed that Dana dropped the show. And he was so disappointed and he's still like, Hey, it's my boy. Yeah, good exactly. For, good he's for my good right? for he's a good he's a good friend. Like you know, the the thing is though, like it goes right back to what Dan said a couple of episodes ago. I want her to see me on the show. I want her to see me at my best. There's something attractive about seeing a person in their element. And admittedly, I may or may not have done that oh. a couple of times in my career. <laughs> I may have gotten a ticket or two for a female friend of mine. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it's a couple of rows back from where we're doing our thing or, you know, brought him into the broadcast booth, like at a football game when I'm doing like the open and I've got the mic and, you know, I'm joking around with my analyst and I'm keeping everybody loose. Like, that's me in my element. I feel comfortable. I feel confident. And that is an attractive thing. And it is often led to people recognize that. It's that confidence. That confidence is huge, right? I think there's nothing more attractive, even not even necessarily in a romantic way, but seeing somebody be very confident and yeah, good at absolutely. something is like, all right, I, I like you. You're all right, yeah. you know? So that, that's it pays off. And it's so... It just makes me so happy to see them so happy. It's like a nice positive note to end on. Yeah, after, after all the uh, dramatics that we've dealt with over the last 10 minutes of this episode. There, there, you said it, though. There's a lot that we were able to cover in like an 8 to 10, 8 to 12 minute span, really. Uh, whether it's loose ends, whether it is a lot of great acting. I, I think we did mention it earlier. There's that turning point where Dana goes, it's a whole new ballgame. It's like a whole new ballgame for the episode right. in the second half. It like, takes a sharp turn. It's a sharp turn, a little less exposition, a lot more really good nonverbal acting. We learn a couple of things, you know, like you talked about Dan unpacking uh, what had happened between Casey and Sally and Gordon. Like we're all kind of discovering all this stuff together now. And it's, like, it's a really good tight second half of this episode. I like that it all comes full circle too with the Sampras situation we get a couple of lines not a lot but when the when inevitably he wins as we kind of all expected him to do just that Jeremy says like I wish you could have seen the look in his eyes like he almost appreciated having this battle with this guy that in for all intents and purposes he should have just had you know been able to give 50 sure. percent and walk all over but to see that like sometimes a challenge is a good thing and sometimes it's nice to you're number one in the world but you get reminded that you still got to be number one. You got to perform. Right. You don't just get to walk all over anybody. It's funny, actually. I, I'm, this past week, I was calling game one of Golden State Portland. Golden State's the best team in the NBA. Portland was an eight seed that got hot late in the season and just made the playoffs. And they're without one of their best players. So a lot of people come into this series, well, Golden State won 67 games. They're going to roll all over Portland at home, you know, where they're really, really good. And I'm calling game one the other day and – Portland was tied at halftime. They were tied after three quarters. And then in the fourth quarter, finally, Golden State started to pull away, and they played good defense. They, they were able to win the game, by, I think, by 12. And Steve Kerr, the coach of the Warriors, after the game said, it was the perfect way for us to play game one of the playoffs. We got tested by a team that we need to respect for the rest of this series. And yeah, don't want to take it for granted. Right? And then we were able to pull away and get the victory. Like, that was the perfect way for us to do it. It's good to be challenged. Maybe my favorite era, golden era bull, also, Steve Kerr. I, I've, I've associated with him a lot now this year, just covering a lot of Warriors games. 
Huge fan. Huge fan of Steve Kerr. I'm glad to hear that. Yeah, glad he's to hear great, he's a great stand guy, up too. Dude. Super smart guy, really nice, easy to talk to, easy to chat with. I guy. saw also, slightly off topic, but your uh, your Snapchat, the meta, where you were listening to yourself <laughs> with the post-interview in the car, like that had to be a little, Yo, I recorded little that, otherworldly. I recorded that in Oakland eight hours earlier <laughs> while we were trying to get out of the arena after the game and catch the police escort that was taking us to the airport. And I'm back in my car at 1 a.m. Central Time, driving back from the airport to my apartment. And I was just flipping through radio stations. And I was like, oh, my God, is that me? <laughs> is that, <laughs> like something from so I, I had to take a Snapchat of it. I was like, this is pretty meta right now. <laughs> so the episode ends with the letter coming to an end. And we get back to the whole purpose of this letter, which was uh, Jeremy reminding Louise, you are not in under any circumstances to leave school, right? We found out she was distressed about the divorce that none of us knew about prior to this. But that <laughs> Maybe she that's was... why she was so stressed. She just found right. out like we did. Oh, no. But he says, like, you're not leaving school. It's going to be tough, but you're going to pull out just fine. Make sure you stick with it, right? And uh, it's nice to see him kind of be that stern older brother figure and, and hit her with the, the truth there. It's funny because when he says, we'll come out of this okay, that's when Casey, it lined up with Casey watching Dana and Gordon kind of arm in arm walking as out leaving, of the yeah. as they're leaving out of the studio. I thought that was a, a nice little audio sync up right yeah, there. That is nice. You're picking up on a lot of good stuff today. <laughs> All about the subtext, man. But you know what? You're right about this letter, though. Like, the divorce is sudden. All of, for, like, for all of us watching, we're like, oh, we didn't know that there was a a divorce that that had taken place so how are these characters going to react to it and obviously when we go forward in episode we'll learn a lot about how these characters reacted to it two tiny little notes about the end of this episode what you got? one jeremy says his name jeremy <laughs> all the time with three syllables in the meantime stay out of trouble louise love jeremy which is just i am jeremy goodwin right instead of jeremy and in fact and to Jump forward to next week. There's a, there's a scene in the next episode where he keeps answering phone calls, and every time he go, he does, he goes Jeremy Goodwin, <laughs> and he says he says it with the three syllables. Just a little, I just, just think something you picked up. It's on, a little yeah. quirk, I guess. Uh, and two, the show fades out. We get the title card, and they cut it off right before we get those stories plus. Yeah, we didn't get they to do find the introductions, we but we don't night. get those yeah. stories plus. I'm like, no, like <laughs> typically we're always like, what are they going to talk about on sports night? Today? It's just my favorite. I'd look forward to hearing those three words every time. And then to hear whatever fake headlines they came up yeah, with. Yeah, exactly. I like but, the fake headlines. Yeah. I like that. They write these fake headlines together. Basically. I want to find out if the corn is the only thing as high as an <laughs> elephant's eye and, and other, other clever <laughs> witticisms. Uh, clever things from the 1940s, I, I guess. I, I Actually, that's a perfect segue into the title of the episode, How Are Things in Glockamora. It is a popular song about a fictional village in Ireland with themes of nostalgia and homesickness. It was part of the original Broadway production of Finian's Rainbow, which originally went on Broadway in 1947. That is, and I'm clearly not as versed, as uh, Isaac is when it comes to Broadway musicals, but I've never even heard of that of that play before. So he goes deep. Yeah, seriously. And uh, the the song that you're hearing under us is the uh, Julie Andrews version of How Are Things at Glockamore, apparently a very popular song. I hear a bird, a London dirty bird. It will maybe he's bringing me a cheer. So, I mean, at this point, the, the title is just a complete non sequitur. We know going forward, like, oh, yeah, it's got, you know, that storyline later. But, like, 
It's nothing to do with the episode. It's a, it's a weird. It's a very unrelated odd, yeah, thing. Obviously, we know why because you know Robert Guillaume suffered the stroke and and you know I, I like we talked about. I wonder how this episode might have been different if Robert Guillaume were in this episode and what were the plot points. Obviously, as you said, we discover in season two. I mean, I love the title. How are things in Glockamore? Yeah, <laughs> it's just it's like it's like... just, it just has nothing to do with this particular episode. We got a good name for the next episode: The Sword of Orion. Will it be? Episode 18 of Sports Night, like we talked about, we get to dive a lot into uh, how these characters will deal with uh, the divorce of Jeremy's parents and how Jeremy himself deals with it in pretty dramatic fashion. As always, you can follow us just about everywhere on the internet at Those Stories Pod. Follow Adam at Adam and Me. You can follow me at SJCIM. And you can visit our website at thosestoriespod.weebly.com. It's been nice to see also... uh, ratings and reviews coming in yeah we don't like that's to beg great. for them we really appreciate it but it always makes me smile a little bit but i'm like hey somebody said something nice that's cool so yeah, thank you for those yeah, and yeah, feel free to feel drop free. one absolutely if uh, you want to jump on itunes and give us a review and a rating hopefully you guys are enjoying the show and we really appreciate you guys listening to it every time out so for steve Semino, i'm adam amin and you've been listening to those stories plus is that willow tree still weeping there does that laddie with a twinkling eye come whistling by? And does he walk away sad and